Welcome in to Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Drew Saylor. Drew is currently the hitting coordinator for the Kansas City Royals. Last year, he was the assistant hitting coordinator um, and a minor league manager for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I've actually heard Drew on a couple of other podcasts, and I was just really intrigued with how he spoke, why why he did the things he did, his journey as a coach. And, you know, after interviewing him on this episode, I was just completely blown away. Um, and I'm not surprised he's in the position that he is uh, just because of, of his journey and his self-awareness. It's just, it's really, really cool. And I really am excited for this episode because he is someone and this whole interview just in general, um, he's able to, to speak to coaches at every single level. So no matter if you're a coach on here, little league, high school, college, professional, it doesn't matter. Drew is going to kind of have something for you that you can take and implement right away. And it has nothing to do with mechanics or practice design or anything like that. I'll let you go ahead and, and listen to it so you can find out for yourself. But I, like I said, I was, I'm blown away. I was taking notes during this episode. Um, you know, it's funny because Drew is in Ohio. I live in Ohio and Cincinnati. He's a couple hours away. Last week on the podcast, we had Johnny Washington and Jay Wash is in LA. And even though Jay Wash is all the way in LA and I'm in Ohio, no, no audio issues, perfect sound, perfect everything. And so it's funny that in this week's episode with Drew, even though he's only a couple hours away from me, uh, we did have a couple audio hiccups, but just bear with us because uh, you'll still be able to hear everything and um, you're, you're definitely going to want to continue to listen all the way through this episode. So ladies and gentlemen, here is Drew Saylor. All right, Drew, we're now live. You know, really appreciate you coming on the show today, man. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on, Patrick. So you're actually from Ohio uh, as well. You know, I'm in Cincinnati. You're kind of from the northern part of Ohio. Can you kind of give everyone a little bit of your kind of backstory of, of just your coaching career and just baseball career in general? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in a town called Wadsworth that's right near Akron. When I got done playing high school at University of Cincinnati for two years, Ended up transferring to Kent State University, finished out my college career there. Was fortunate enough to be drafted, played five years of uh, minor league baseball, and uh, at the end of the 2010 season, decided to, to step away. Just was recently married and was wanting to kind of start my quote-unquote normal life. After about a year and a half, my wife, uh, who, again, just God-focused uh, person, just one day said, Hey, you're, you're not the same guy that I married. Like, she's wow. like, I think the most excited that I can see you in, in terms of your week is on Saturdays when you're going to do five hours of uh, lessons. And she's like, I think we need to get back uh, into something that's going to bring your passion up, something that I feel that you're, you're wired to do. And just that, that incredibly self it's, it's really developed and, and aged really well. Uh, because I, I mean, it just for 10 years, you know, just how impactful it is and also just how, how much she, she just, she loves me. And so uh, with that, went back, uh, you know, tried my hand in the, in the college ranks with at Cleveland State for a season, also at University of Akron. And when I went to Akron, Rick Rick like just recently took the job over there and uh, started, you know, throwing my resume out to uh, major league clubs. I, at the time I was not on professional baseball, felt like college is really where I was at. Cleveland State to Akron, you know, just was kind of, you know what, I'll, I'll see what happens. Maybe something will, will occur and we'll just, we'll just see where it goes. You know, obviously I was a volunteer those two uh, seasons. And so I shot my resume out. I was lucky enough that the Rockies, you know, went through a pretty extensive interview process. And in 2012, I ended up, uh, you know, getting the opportunity to uh, be the uh, hitting coach in Grand Junction, Colorado. And was there for a season. Next year was asked, you know, if I wanted to manage, uh, what, if that was ever a goal? And I said, yeah. And they go, what do you need? And I said, I need a pitching coach to be able to help me through some of the pitching stuff. And if I have that, I, I think I'd be ready. And they go, okay, well, you're going to go manage a short season team now. <laughs> and so at the ripe age of 29, I was managing the short season club in Pasco, Washington, the Tri-City Dust Doubles. was there for two years. I'm 14, was asked to go back to the hitting space. Went through a uh, GM transition over there. 
Uh, Jeff Radich, who was the farm director, got bumped up into the GM seat and got a chance to go back into the hitting space in Modesto, California. And at the end of that year was when uh, Andrew uh, Friedman and Gabe and those guys were going through a transition in L.A. And Gabe uh, called to interview me to, to manage again. And so I went through that process really was kind of a seminal moment in my career because obviously, you know, Andrew and all the work that he did uh, in Tampa, you know, and just the forward thinking, the analytics, that type of stuff really was curious by that. And so, you know, made the jump, went to LA. I was a manager in Rancho Cucamonga for three years. And really that that's when my curiosity went into overdrive, you know, got a chance to be exposed to a lot of, you know, data analytics, uh, tech, those types of things. And really just kind of, you know, shoved me, into just this really like perpetual, you know, curious, you know, type of uh, idea and mindset. I was there for three years, culminated in a, in a championship in, in 2018. We won the California League. Ironically, you and I are talking off air. Uh, you know, Ryland is one of the guys that was instrumental in, in us being able to, you know, get to the postseason before he was in the Machado trade. And really just a, an incredible year culminated with uh, me being named minor league uh, manager of the year by Baseball America. And, at the end of that season, even though it was such an incredible year, it was really challenging on the personal front. My wife and kids lived here in Ohio. My oldest son was in school, so I didn't see them in 2018 from like February like 7th mm. until like after. And was really a stress on us. And so at the end of that year, you know, talked with the Dodgers and said, hey, I'd like to find something a little bit more closer to home, family-friendly, something give me, you know, maybe a little bit more uh, time at home. And so they gave me the opportunity to go you know, look for other opportunities and talked to the Pittsburgh Pirates, really enjoyed that process there and took the assistant hitting coordinator job with them. Was there for about 10 months and then uh, again was called by the Kansas City Royals to go be the hitting coordinator in their organization. Uh, went through the interview process, which was really uh, stressful and challenging and ended up uh, being offered the job and we took the opportunity. And that's kind of where I'm at today. Wow, that's that is incredible. I, I loved hearing. First of all, kudos to your wife. I mean, I don't know too many people who would tell their husbands that, hey, like, you know what you're doing. You know, is she could tell you weren't happy. And then wow. what I want you to do is like go be a volunteer for two years, essentially at college. I mean, that's that's in, insanity. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a very um, trying time. Just because obviously, you know, you're, you're putting in, you know, 40 hours a week at, as an assistant coach. And then on top of that, I'm, you know, doing lessons on the side and picking up odd jobs uh, to, to be able to buoy, you know, losing my, my real job that I had at the time. I worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. So we were trying to balance out all those different things as a family to be able to do that. And, you know, again, it just, it, it, it really, it, it's inspiring in so many different ways just to know, that she had that type of confidence and conviction in me, but more importantly, like she, she knows what this life is. She knows the demands and she knows the sacrifice. You know, I, I say this a lot to our coaches. We don't make the sacrifice when, when we sign up for this job, it's our wives and our kids that sign up for that sacrifice. And mm. it really, for me, it, that's what really just drives home the point of just that, you know, God gave me the, the right woman the right partner, the right, the right wife, the right mother to be able to, to shoulder, uh, you know, this journey. And again, we've had such incredible highs in this, but again, you know, like everything else in life, there, there's always lows that go along with it and challenges and we've been able to overcome it together. Mm, that's good stuff. So I'm really curious as you, you know, you talked about being a manager and a hitting coach and it sounds like your first year in Colorado, you were a manager, but you said all you needed was a pitching coach. So while you're manager, are you essentially the hitting coach as well? Uh, no, we, we had a hitting coach uh, and a pitching coach at the time, kind of the, the, the traditional triad that you see in the minor leagues. Really, when, when I was a hitting coach, it was so focused on, you know, the, the daily grind and the wins and the game planning and all that other stuff on the pitching side. And so, you know, when you're a manager, you're overseeing the operation, you know, at that entire level. You know, you're trying to you know, talk about roster complexion, you're talking about, you know, you know, tracking PT at bats, innings, the overall, you know, game playing and strategy with all the, uh, you know, all of the players, you know, pitchers included and, 
it was an area that I really uh, didn't have a lot of experience in. And so, you know, that was one of the reasons why when I talked to Jeff and, and to Zach, you know, and they said, hey, what do you need so you feel like you can go and execute being a, a solid, you know, minor league manager? And that's why I said I think I needed a pitching coach. And I was very fortunate. I had a gentleman by the name of Frank Gonzalez. He's actually a double-A uh, pitching coach now with, uh, with the Rockies in Hartford. And Frank was fantastic and just learned a lot from him, learned a lot about, you know, bullpen management, you know, some game management stuff. So, you know, it was a lot of um, really cool moments that him and I were able to, you know, to go through together. What, what caught you off guard when you started managing? Cause I, I would assume that's, you know, a, a completely different scenario than just being a hitting coach where you're still, you know, you're in charge of the hitters versus the manager. You're in charge of all the players. You got to deal with the egos. You got to deal with, Good stuff, bad stuff, plus your coaches as well. The first thing that really caught me off guard was just understanding that, you know, the players, because of the power of the pen, they're, they're not going to give you all the information. You know, when you're a hitting coach or a pitching coach and affiliate, you're, you know, the mentor, you're the father, you're the locker room buddy, you know, you're the counselor, you're all these different hats and guys share a lot of very intimate detailed pieces of information with you. And when you become a manager, you, you start losing a little bit, you know, that, uh, that it's relative to the, to the manager. It's just, it's just the way that it is. You know, you're not going to get all the information. And I had to learn to trust my coaches to really develop those relationships with them, pour into them and know that, you know, the, the, you know, upper, you know, 10,000 foot level decisions that's going to be for the greater good of the team. And yeah, I mean, I think one of the things where I think is interesting is I've, I've heard some hitting coaches who become managers say that they become a better hitting coach after they become like a manager because they're seeing the game from a different light. Did you find that to be true at all? 100%, 100% because I, I really absorbed myself into the pitching space. And I wanted to learn not even just the teaching methodologies, but, you know, sequencing, tunneling games, you know, run prevention. And so when I went to there, that, that's what helped me really be able to kind of refine the lens, you know, as a hitting, the hitting coordinator, it just helped me see the game from a whole, more holistic you know, perspective. And again, it, it, it is difficult because I think it's natural human tendency to do something that's comfortable, to, to go back to your quote unquote of the old adage of staying your lane and that type of stuff. But I, I wanted to take that step out in the unknown. I wanted to be able to challenge myself to see, you know, one, if I felt that I was good enough to be in that type of leadership, be great at what they do. And, you know, I look at that first year's, you know, coaching staff and my hitting coach name was Warren Shaper. He's the play manager now in Hartford. Uh, my video intern, uh, Matt Pignatero, is now a, uh, an area super things that, that I really enjoy a lot. And it's always been a vision of mine is, you know, the people that, that we work with, and I feel that it's my responsibility of a leader, is to know what they're great at at that moment, give them autonomy to control that and the responsibility to control that. And then I want to be able to help build them for the role they want down the road, whether it's you know, in 10 months, 10 years, whatever, all points in between. And, and that's what was really enjoyable about that staff is space for all of us to grow we felt we were united we were together and, and i think for me that's one of the things that i really look back on that staff with kind eyes is just to go man like we we, we were able to do that the, we were able to achieve it in a fairly short amount of time which is even better good stuff hey i really like that how you were you talked about how it wasn't just solely about you know how could you develop your own career and skills, but what could you do to you know help kind of your staff's dreams and and skills improve as well. And I think that's so huge as as a leader. So I'm just curious about the the mental game. Like, how are you able to kind of guide your your players and hitters into helping them in their mental game? Well, I I think you know, having you know just. You know, utilizing your, your mental skills staff uh, with, with your organization. I think that that's kind of like square one. You know, you want to be able to union a lot of the uh, support staff in these processes. And sincerity, like you, you can't expect a player to know how to handle failure if the only time he handles failure is at 7 o'clock. Because the heightened sense of, these stats count. This is how I'm being evaluated. This is how I could be moved up and promoted. This is how I would stay and earn the job I'm at now. This is what would get me demoted. This is what would get me released. 
And, and I think that as, as we look at our organization, you know, here in Kansas city, we have incredible, you know, resources that they're able to leverage those things. But, you know, the other uh, part of it is, especially from, you know, an experience perspective with, with a lot of our coaches, they have such incredible, you know, major league experience, long, you know, careers, but that's your moment to really dive into how the players are wired and you get a great opportunity to be able to share your experiences and associate what the player's currently going through with what you've done. And you get a chance to guide them through those inherent doldrums or downswings in, in their journey. So, you know, I, I look at the, the, the mental game space is a real great, unique opportunity to be able to share and connect with players more consistently. Love that. One of the other things that, you know, you hear a lot about is the, the training environment and, you know, practice design and, and things like that. Do you, are you someone who like, you know, really tries to get creative with how uh, your practice looks or is it kind of a little bit of both, a little old school and a little new school? Well, I, I think that, you know, it's always somewhere in between. I say this a good amount, but life is always some variation of gray. It's a shade of gray. You know, it's never black and white. I think that it's always, you know, taking inventory every day of where all the players are at, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. It's taking inventory of where you're at in those areas. It's taking inventory with your, your staffs, your managers, and then finding a way to be able to design the practice that one is going to be challenging, but also it's going to be individualized for each player. And, and especially going to like my managerial experience, that was always one of my main goals is, all right, I, I want to create a environment that is a good learning environment. I want to create an environment where our players have fun, that they enjoy being at the ballpark, uh, but they're also growing and they're improving. And so when I built out my days, I felt the job of manager was to create these blocks of space for our coaches to be able to fill with the individuality of the player, but yet still be conscious of the fact that this is still a team game at the end of the day. And again, it goes back to our, our coaches. We, we got to, you know, to do a John Woodenism. If I have an hour's worth of practice, I'm going to take two hours to plan for that hour. Mm-hmm. And, and that was always one of the things that, that I've really I've seen crystallized over my last you know, few years being in leadership position is, you know, if, if we're, if we're going to really value workload and, and, and load management, we have to do a really good job of planning for what this hour is going to be. And inherently, if we do that, we take out a lot of the, the white space. We, we take out a lot of the, the wasted reps. We, we get a chance to maximize uh, the reps that we do have for the player. You know, and again, it's, all, it's always going to be relative because a player that is in the, uh, the, the space where they're trying to test skill, there's probably going to be less physical reps because it's more of a decision-based practice. If it's a person that's trying to acquire skill, he's probably going to have a higher volume of work, but he's trying to find solutions to the constraint that you put him in. And so, again, that's why it's so critical for all of our staff members to understand where everybody is at in that space because you want to put a guy in an area that he's going to be challenged, so he has to learn. We also don't want to push him to the other end of the extreme where he's constantly seeing failure because then that's when he's going to punt and just quit the, the activity. The, the, the inverse of that is you also don't want to make a, a, a task so easy that the player becomes bored and he's not focused because you're not learning there either. You're not growing. So it's always like trying to find that like honey hole uh, for each individual player, but you know, keeping it uh, in context to the whole group. Oh, Drew, that was awesome, man. That was such good stuff. And I, I love the John Wooden quote in there. That's so true. Now, when you're you're in charge of, so, you know, over 100 hitters right now as the hitting coordinator, and I know, you know, obviously everyone's on delay right now, but, I mean, is it kind of a situation where you just have to trust your coaches to implement what you want? Because I, I'd imagine it's, you know, you can plan for so many hours, but you, know, you can't get to every player. Yeah, you know, I think it, it is, you know, empowering the coaches to be able to reach out and connect to the players on their own terms, to be able to, to speak through whatever mediums that, that work for them. And same thing, and also whatever mediums work for the players. You know, I think that, you know, a lot of times we, we talk a lot about making connections and we got to have deeper, you know, relationships and we got to talk. And we got some players that that's not how they're wired. Some players, it's like, no, I, I, I'm, you know, I need A. I need one thing and you get that one thing satisfied and they're like, their mind's already somewhere else. 
And, and again, that's why it's so important to, to get to know how people perceive things, what they need in that moment. And our jobs as teachers is to be able to supply what that player needs, whether it's a five minute, you know, conversation, if it's a 45 minute conversation, if it's a text message, if it's a DM or whatever it may be. And again, I think that that's what is, is really cool about, about our game and about really us as human beings. Like, you know, I'm not, not to, you know, bore you, but you know, my, my dad talks a lot about this and he's like, Oh, I wish that drew you, I wish you could go back and your kids can go back and, just see what life was like in 1976 in Barberton, Ohio, because that's when things were great <laughs> and we're so disconnected now and everyone's on their phone. And it, but I think what this, you know, lockdown and the virus is showing us is really, even though we have all these different modes of electronic communication, the, the true inherent nature of us as human beings is physical interaction and spatially close contact with one another and, and one of the things that's been really beautiful for me in this downtime is, you know, we're, we're getting an opportunity now, especially me, you know, being a dad of an eight, six and a four year old, I'm getting an opportunity to be home. And, and the one thing that, you know, I look back at like, you know, how stressed I was in 2018 and not being around my wife and kids, I'm getting, I'm getting some of that time in some regards back. And, and I think that even though that obviously the virus is terrible and we're, we're doing so many great things, our, our healthcare workers, my mom's a nurse, the, everybody, they're, they're doing such great work to be able to help us get back to some sense of normalcy. But really, this, you know, this virus is giving us an opportunity to, to make those deeper connections with our families. And that's what's been really cool, I think, uh, to see from a personal level, but even from a, an organizational level, it's just showing us. Uh, just how much we need to physically be around uh, one another uh, for us to be able to feel connected. Oh, that's such good stuff. I, and I love, you know, just listening to you talk there. You know, you're definitely someone who I can already tell, even though this is the first time we've talked, that, you know, you take, you, you take a situation like the virus and shutdown, and then you flip it into a positive um, scenario where you're able to spend more time with your family. And that's just, that is so cool to hear. Going back to what you talked about earlier about how, connecting with players relationships and how some players they only want to hear they only need to hear maybe one thing they don't need you to continue to harp on and on do you think that's a uh, something that you just uh, check off to as experience with how to understand and know what a player needs like you know kind of what you're talking about some players need you to kind of put your arm around your back or put uh, and and kind of guide them versus some players like just need to tell them one thing and that's it well, I, I think in those moments, yes, there is, there is some experiential journeys that you, you acquire these deeper understandings either, you know, by success that you've had or even by failure. But really the, the part for me that, that I've really devoted a lot of time, bandwidth, and even financial collateral is learning me. And a lot of times the interactions that I have with people and I'm like, Oh, that guy hates me. Oh, uh, he just, he doesn't like the job I'm doing. Uh, this, this I, I was a bad, you know, conversation that didn't, I didn't make a connection with that guy. A lot of that is that that's what I want out of the, out of the relationship. But yet that person feels completely fulfilled because I was able to supply that need. And it's, it's meeting the players where they're at in their journey and knowing what they need in that moment. And then also having the realization of like, okay, like that guy, he's just, he's very much a, a introverted guy. Like I actually am making him more uncomfortable by making this conversation linger even further because he's already good, but yet I'm trying to find some satisfaction in this. And I'm trying to railroad this guy into what I need in this moment. And I'm actually doing more damage than I am actually helping this player through this process. You know, it's, much of the same sense of like the love languages, like a player that is zero physical touch. And for me, I'm a high physical touch guy. I'm like the bro hug dude. Like every person that comes <laughs> in the cage, I'm giving them a bro hug. And there are some guys that just don't want that. They just want an easy handshake or they want a head nod or they just want a what's up or a K or whatever it is. And it's, it's meeting them where they're at and it's understanding what you need in that moment and also reframing how you're responding. It's giving yourself the emotional space to go, all right, I don't feel fulfilled in this situation, but is that really what is happening? Or am I just looking for something to satisfy me? Did I, did I 
Did I give what this player needed so he can be able to move forward in this conversation? And, and it is, it's very much, if you can only give away what you already have. And so a lot of what I have you know, read in terms of like emotional capital, uh, psychological capital, it, it very much is geared to that area is to know what the, the people need that when I'm having that discussion, supplying it to them. And if they're ready to go and it's a two minute conversation, then we we're in. We, we, we did our job as a leader. We did our job as a partner in, in that relationship. And so I think that's one of the, the biggest hurdles that I've had to overcome is to know how people respond to things, how to be able to read their responses and go, okay, is that what he needs in that moment? All right, I'm going to supply it. And then if he needs more, he'll give me more. If he needs less, he's going to give me less. You know, and just it's it's really being able to identify how you're like somebody and how you're not like somebody, and then finding the, those those middle ground pieces where you can be able to move forward together. Jeez, that, uh, you're I feel like you're just preaching to the choir here. I mean, I'm I'm writing down notes as you're talking, and you know, I felt exactly what you're talking about right now. Where it's like, I say something to a player, it's like, oh, like maybe I, I you know I want him to. That want him to continue like saying something back, but I, I, taking a step back, and I'm already thinking of a few different scenarios of where, like, that's not him. Like, that's not his personality. Like, I need to have some self awareness and and understand that. Like, that's. Yeah, I feel like you're just speaking directly to me, and I'm sure other listeners as well. The same thing, and that's just such a huge part about coaching in general. I'm I'm so happy you you shared that with everyone. Yeah, and the other part too to, to tie it all together. Patrick, because this is something that I deal with on a daily basis is that when you recognize those moments, it's very easy to judge what we did in a very negative light. Mm. And what happens is, is that we tend to hold ourselves to a very high standard. And in theory, in the moment, we feel like we didn't meet that or we didn't execute that task. We are really, really, really difficult on ourselves. And, we're, and we, it can almost be crippling and almost depressing in some ways. But the part that I think we lose a little bit as we grow older is we are very adaptable human beings. And even though a conversation didn't go exactly the way you wanted it to go, or you don't feel necessarily fulfilled, as long as you have the opportunity to give yourself the space in that moment to have that emotion and then you can logically work through how the process went you're going to be able to make progressive steps forward and a lot of times it's just having that conversation like yeah that conversation sucked but you know what we still got this one piece moved in the right direction so we're good so let's just keep on going instead of constantly dwelling on oh man like i really jacked that up that guy's you know he's going to be ruined there's no such thing I, I, I find it really difficult for us to think that us as human beings, we're over millennia. We've evolved from hunter gatherers to the point that, you know, we have a, you know, we have, I'm, I'm in a house and there's light and there's indoor plumbing and there's heat. I'm not freezing. I'm not having to go outside and start a fire. Like we can adapt to any environment that we are possibly in. I don't feel that there's any way that we could decimate someone's development because a conversation didn't go exactly <laughs> the way we wanted to go on this specific day at this specific time. I just, I, I just, I disagree with that philosophically in so many different spaces. What this is, so, I'm so happy you're, you're talking about this and bringing this up because it's, you know, we can get into mechanics and swing and everything, but this is just real down to earth coaching and dealing with people. And is this something that you've always had a, a passion to learn? Or was this something that when you became a manager, because you were managing people, that that's when you started to get go down kind of these rabbit holes and understanding how humans kind of, you know, learn in different ways? Well, I, I think the answer is it typically is it's always all the above. You know, I, I look back at, you know, some moments when I managed when I really missed the mark. And I'm like, why did, what? I, I want to know more why. You know, I want to know more why that relationship didn't end up the way that it, that it was supposed to be. I want to know why these things occurred. I want to know why this experience, this player, even though that in, in a lot of regards, I completely fell short of every expectation I had. But this, this guy, like, is, is aces. And, and I think that that's where my mind goes to 
um, on how I got to this. It's not necessarily one role that I've had over the other. I think it's just over the course of the journey, I've always wanted to know why I, I connect very well with some people and why other people, it's just like, it's like I'm shoving a square peg into a round hole. And I'm like, but gosh, I really want this relationship to work. I don't understand what's going on. And, and a lot of it just, it comes down to just, you know, making those, you know, those, um, you know, those deep data dives into you and reading and researching, having connections and in a lot of ways also being transparent and going, no, I screwed this up. I messed this up. You know, I, it wasn't that guy's a hundred percent fault. I, I had a, a hand in that. And there, there, there is, there, there's moments that you want to, you know, hold yourself accountable almost to the point that you want to like, you know, shove your head through a window because you, you just, the, the pain is so palpable. But again, the way that we move forward as people is, is to understand we do adapt. And I know that, you know, there, there's always the mantra out there, oh, you know, zebra, you know, ne- never changes its stripes. And, and I, I think that there, there's always some examples that that's true. And I think there's also other examples that that's false. I, I look back at the person I was in 2012 when I started coaching and I'm like, Woof! Wow, that guy. Let me just tell you, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I like that guy very much. You know, I, you know, that guy in, in 2017. Holy crap! What a bad manager. But again, I think that as it goes, as we learn as people, you know, we're we're always evolving. We're, we're never going to arrive. And I, I lean on my faith. I lean on the knowledge that that we're we're always acquiring to be able to help improve us and improve the people that we're around and. And I, I just, there's always a part of me, I guess it has to be the eternal optimist that I do think that people change. And I, I, I see, I see, you know, just being able to be, you know, in, in retrospect, just seeing how I've evolved as a person, but also how my relationships have evolved, how my relationship with my wife, I feel is constantly improving because when I ear on something, I'm, I'm more open now to say, no, I, I, I botched that. That's my bad. I got that, you know? taking in critical feedback and, and being able to, to go through those, you know, self-reflection pieces. And then also giving your space too that there's times that you you're not ready to hear that, you know, and it may take you months and months and months or years to be able to come to terms with that. But as long, as long as you're, you're constantly taking inventory in those spots, that's where you're going to see the most growth uh, as, as you as a person. Yeah, and it, and it sounds like just listening to you, I mean, you just have, you know, it's humility. You know, you have humility, and I think that's such a, an important piece of of growing and, and evolving as a person, which is awesome to hear. And I think you're you're starting to see, you know, really good coaches, and even in your role as coordinators, like, they all, they all have humility because they're all, you know, you're open-minded, you're constantly learning, whether it be about yourself, you know, you talked about your family and wife or whatever it may be. I just think that's a huge part of, of kind of life in general is having that humility. Yeah. And, and again, like there, it's, it's meeting people on their journeys. You know, sometimes people aren't ready. You know, I look back at mine and I'm like, man, I, I was, I wasn't ready to think this way. Like I, I needed time to be able to comprehend what was occurring. You know, I wasn't down that line in my, in my faith walk and my faith journey. I wasn't down that line in my maturity. You know, I, I always, you know, share this with, um, w- with our coaching staffs. Like, you know, we, we talk about some players, how they become wise beyond their years. Well, all that is, is that, you know, for the most part, when our, when we're adolescents as especially males, like we're thinking through the amygdala most more times than not, we're, we're fight or flight, shoot and scoot, always emotional. And then we have that one outlier. Well, that player, as we get older and that, that person, we shift from that, like, shoot and scoot mentality, fight or flight. to now we go through the logic and reason part of our brain through the frontal cortex. And so it's meeting our players in those areas and, and understanding that someone may have that type of very emotional response to us, but that that's just how they're evolving. That's how they're developing. And it's being sensitive to that, you know, a player that lashes out to you, a lot of times it's not you. It's just, they're, they're, they're not in that space in their maturity and in their development to be able to handle it. That's why they're responding that way. And so a lot of times, you know, taking those types of nonverbal responses, body languages, postures, eye dilation, that's it's giving you more information to where they're at. And again, it goes back to, you have to understand how you respond to certain tasks, 
to certain people, certain personalities, certain tones, certain critical feedback. Like it, it, again, it's always this constant like evaluation of just how you're responding to the environment. And that helps you be able to craft the next message, you know, help people along their journey, satisfy what need that they're looking for out of the conversation or out of the relationship. When you, when you have had a player lash out at you, I mean, is it a s- different uh, situation where it's just kind of each scenario is different? Or do you have, have you gotten to the point where, okay, player lashes out at you, I'm going to let him be for a little bit, and then I, I'm going to go up to him like the next day and, and check in or something like that? Yeah, it's very context driven. You know, some some guys they they need that you know that explosion to be able to get their emotions to bubble to the surface so they can release the tension. Some guys are ready for that. You know, other guys they they need their space to be able to to handle their emotions. For me, like in order for me to be able to handle some like type of critical feedback, like I just want to respond right away. I think part of that's a little bit of the manager in me. You know, whereas I, I want to be able to, you know, get back, you know, and, and have consensus and have sameness to what we do. A lot of times I have to intentionally like go, no, no, no. Like, all right, I know that right now I am being pinged in so many different areas. I'm ready to go back at this. I'm, I'm just going to just vomit everything. And a lot of times I need that like space to be able to let my emotions run their course, take more, you know, reflective moments back at, the, at how that whole event transpired and then from there, be able to figure out how we're going to be able to move forward together. And again, it takes practice. There is in numerous, there's numerous amounts of times that I have radically failed in this area, but through the, you know, the crawl, walk, run type of experience with it, you, you become a little bit better in that area. But I can tell you that the, the emotion that I have when those, those opportunities show up, it's just as strong as when I was younger. Like, I still feel that, like, all right, like, all right, I'm ready to go. But it, it's taken time for me to be able to, to show a little bit more discipline and restraint in those moments, especially whenever there, there is a disagreement in those spots. Yeah, that's, that, that is such a unique thing. I, I don't think we talk about that a lot. At least I know I haven't on here on the podcast is like, you know, coaches disagreeing with each other, players lashing out at them and, you know, what's their response. So it's pretty interesting to hear kind of how you've progressed over time in handling that as well. You know, I I know earlier you said mentioned that you were the assistant hitting coordinator and manager last year um, in the Pirates organization. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering and curious, like what like what does that role kind of entail? Because obviously you have your own team your affiliate, you're managing, but you're also an assistant coordinator. Yeah, it was a, a unique opportunity. I mean, obviously, I, I truly feel that I'm always going to be drawn to the manager's seat. There, There is a certain just, it's really difficult to describe. And I think, you know, I was talking to Mike Matheny about it um, when I took the role over here. Cause he was like, oh, he goes, I heard you're, you're kind of an okay manager. And I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. And, <laughs> and I asked him, I said, hey, like, you know, what, what draws you back to this spot? You know, you were, you know, manager, obviously incredibly successful in St. Louis. And, you know, you were, uh, you know, a special assistant last year. And now you're back in the manager seat. Um, you know, kind of what, what draws you to it? And he goes, oh, he goes, I think that just there's, there's certain people and, and the way that, that God made us that you just, you, you feel that that's something that you're, you're just, you're good at. And you always want to go back to, you love the fight. You love, you love the grind. You, you love the, the camaraderie. You love your know, setting environments and nature. And that, that always stuck with me. And I think last year was a very unique opportunity in Pittsburgh because I was still able to kind of like dabble in the coordinator spot to see if that's something that I wanted to do while also still doing the manager seat as well. And again, I, I can't, I can't say which one that I, that I enjoy more. I know that I'm pretty good at the manager thing. I know that I was a good hitting coach. I, I hope that, that I'll continue to evolve and grow as a coordinator. And, and maybe this is something that, that I enjoy, but I, I always liked the, the new opportunities. I like the challenge. And when, when I was in Pittsburgh, you know, up until our season, I was, you know, you know, roving around, but I was mostly at the lower levels as in the DSL extended groups. I got a chance to, you know, bop up and see our low A and high, uh, you know, groups and got a chance to see trip one time, but it just, it was, you know, kind of get my arms around how to, you know, build a, uh, a system, you know, build in development models, continue education for coaches, obviously still making connections with players, uh, but obviously trying to funnel more of that through the, the coaches. And 
you know, really, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was fun and I enjoyed it. And then, you know, when I shifted to the manager's seat, there was a part of me that's like, gosh, I, I kind of missed the coordinator thing. And, you know, then I transitioned into the, the season with, uh, with the black bears and I got back into that manager mold and I was like, gosh, I, I do enjoy this. And then at the end of the season, I put back and took my manager's head off and put my coordinator hat back on and <laughs> And I was like, no, I, I like the coordinator job. And I think that that's always, you know, one of the more interesting processes to go through is, you know, I, I think the, the very bare bones parts that I enjoy is, you know, the continuing education and the connectivity with people, you know, creating a you know, positive, encouraging environment, uh, those things are synonymous. And I think that the roles that I've occupied so far in, in, the, in my journey have all been more revolving around that. It's creating environments for people to feel safe, feel progressive and feel like they can learn and fail without judgment. And I think that that is always such a critical component whenever you're a hitting coach, you're a manager, you're an assistant hitting coordinator, you're a coordinator, whatever it is, you want to create those environments because that's where you start to see progress with people. Totally agree. When you, one of the questions that came to my mind when you were talking about managing and kind of the grind and everything is, you know, you see managers sometimes out of nowhere, like just explode and go out and just rip the umpire a new one and like purposely try and get thrown out. A, was that ever you? And B, like, what's the thought process behind, like, when you need to do something like that to get your team kind of fired up? Uh, yeah, I, I've been that guy. I always tend to ebb and flow a little bit between, you know, when to, when not to, just because there is moments I feel like sometimes you get ran if you're arguing balls and strikes or safe out and you're constantly doing that. You're, you're already like kind of predisposing the players into the, like the mindset of all these umpires are, are so bad. They're so stupid. They're idiots and this or that. And so what happens is, is that if you do that too often, like you're building in excuses to the players for why they're not performing. But in the same token, there, there is times you need to go out there when something is egregious and go, I disagree with what you're saying. And I don't agree with you. Um, I would say out of all my ejections, there's probably only like two or three that I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm just, I'm not happy with how our team is performing. I'm going to go get ran in this opportunity. More times than not, it was either there was a poor interpretation of the rules, which I tend to go out there and then they're saying, no, this is right. And I'm like, no, factually you're incorrect. <laughs> and then I you know, get hot and then I, I get tossed or, or other ones. I can just tell that our players are really upset and, you're kind of, you know, you've heard stories about, uh, you know, Tony, uh, you know, Larusa or, um, or not Tony, uh, Tommy Lasorda, you're going out and yelling at umpires like, you know what, I'm gonna tell you right now, these players, but they're complaining and moaning all the time, and I'm tired of it. You know, my first baseman's not hustling, my pitchers aren't throwing strikes, and he's yelling, and the umpire's like, well, what are you doing, Tommy? He's like, you're gonna throw me out, but you're not gonna throw me out right now because I just gotta tell you that I'm tired. of and so I think that those moments do occur. I, I have had a couple of those moments with umpires. I'm like, hey, listen, you are right, but my guy is way too fired up. And if I don't get tossed right here, like he's not going to think that I got his back. So what I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm like, you know, being real demonstrative and going, I'm going to tell you right now that you are right, but you got to eject me, but not yet. I got to do a little bit more hand action. I got to raise my voice. And then you can eject me and then guys will toss me. So there's been moments like that where I've done that just for the, the morale purposes. And then I think as a manager, you go back in and, you know, you let the guy kind of vent and get upset. And then you can go, hey, listen, just letting you know, the umpire is right. 100% that guy was safe. I know you thought you had him. I love the competitive nature. I love what you're doing. You're trying to get excited. You're investing in the game. I love all that passion. I got ran with you, but I just want to let you know you really missed that one. Okay, so just you know, just, just have that have that understand. So, and again, I think that always goes back to relationships. Always goes oh, back man. to just knowing your people. But you know, I, I do think there there is moments as a manager you, you need to be able to show you have your players' backs. But you know, there there is moments I've told our players like I'm like I'm not getting thrown out because you can't understand that the umpire didn't make a bad call. It was all the other events that showed up to that. That's why you're upset. You just lashed out at that one thing, you know? So uh, again, it's always a really murky area when you're having those types of discussions with, with players, 
because there are guys that, you know, naturally, because again, they're, they're in that amygdala phase of their development, that it's fight or flight. They just want to lash out. They, 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 you know, they're still learning how to be able to control their emotions a little bit. And, you know, a lot of times you just go, no, I'm not getting thrown out for the betterment of our club. I'm not getting thrown out in this, in this situation because it's more important for me to be here and to be able to lead everybody else. You know? Oh. So again, I, it, it's always kind of, um, it's always a sliding scale. It's always a little bit of gray. Oh, those stories were awesome. I, I loved, love that. I especially loved the part when you were you know, talking about how, like, even like after you get thrown out, like telling the player, like the umpire was right. Like just to let you know. <laughs> Yeah. And, and again, I, I think the other part too, that we've you know encouraged is, okay, if you get thrown out in this position, you're wrong, like go and apologize the next day. But Hey man, listen, no, I got hot there, but you know, you, you were right. You made the right call. I was wrong. And a lot of times though, those opportunities to be able to, to, to get our players to show humility, but also when you make those connections to the umpires, like, that 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 means more to them and in reality because of human behavior like if you tell someone that hey i reacted this way but i was wrong i am sorry they're going to have more of an opportunity because now that you're you're showing that that more in some regards that likability factor like they're, they're they're probably going to help you in the long run like i remember one of the things that i would tell umpires i'm like hey listen all right okay you you 100% missed that call and I'm like, no, I did. I'm like, no, 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 just, just hear me out, okay? Just hear me out. You 100% missed that call. But I'm going to tell you right now, like, I screw stuff up every single day. Like, I'm, you know, and I'll give them some, like, a, you know, a- anecdote of, like, oh, like, you know, Jackson earlier today did this, and I lashed out, and I, you know, I, I was wrong, all right? I made mistakes, okay? And I'm going to tell you right now, I know you want to say you're right, but you are wrong, and I just need to be out there to tell you that. If you say that you made a mistake and you missed it, I can't hold you accountable to that. And none of my players can do that because they make mistakes all the time. All right. And if, if you say that, we're going to go back and we're going to play baseball. I'll make sure none of my players complain to you the rest of the way about this. But if you think that you're right and you're going to go to the grave saying that you're right on this, then you're going to have to throw me out. So just understand. <laughs> You're wrong. You 100% missed this call. Okay. If you say that you missed it, I got that. No one's saying anything. I'm not going to say anything to you. We're going to go back and play baseball. You don't have to waste your time writing some long report about why I got ejected. You got to say all the stuff that I'm saying to you right now. Just if you missed it, man, I gotcha. And understand you missed it. And so there'd be moments that they kind of go back and forth and not stop and say, listen, just letting you know you missed it. And guys are like, well, you know what? I may have. And before they even say that they missed it, I just run back to the dugout. I tell my players, hey, go back and play baseball. And it would get to the point, especially when I was in full season, like I'd run out to argue a call. And I don't, I don't do that very often. And umpire's like, really? I missed it that bad? And I'm like, yeah, you kind of did. I'm like, ah, I'm sorry, Drew. I, yeah, all right, I got you. And then we go back and we play. And, and it would be remarkable how over the course of time, those little marginal wins, those 50, 50 ones, we tend to, we tend to get those calls more because you're treating people with compassion you're treating people with, you know, more humility, but you're also like trying to help them along their game. Because again, all these umpires, they're, you know, 20, 21, 22, 23, they're, they're still learning the rules in the game and interpretation. The speed of the game is so much faster than they've ever had. So a lot of times it's it very much just like getting them to, to learn along with you. You know, a lot of those guys don't want some guy like me coming out there and calling them an idiot to their face and swearing and yelling and carrying on. Like, who wants that? Like, I don't want my bosses coming down and doing that. I'm just a second-class citizen. But, again, if you find ways to be able to have those communication pieces, those discussions, a lot of times you end up more on, on at least a net even perspective and in some regards, more net positive over the course of the season. Not saying that they don't miss calls and all that other stuff, but over over the longer duration of time, you do get a chance to be able to to get more calls. That's great. Great. That's a great perspective from just a manager right there. And I love the insight. I'm sure all the listeners are going to love just hearing that out a little bit. Kind of, you know, what really is going through a manager's mind when he's running out there, kind of talking to the umpire, yelling at him. And then also, I think it's great that you understand as well 
hey, like nobody likes getting yelled at, you know, nobody wants that. And so nobody wants to feel kind of like someone's coming down on them too. And I'm sure, you know, you're, you're able to kind of, because you know that heading in, like you're going to choose your words carefully just based off of that, which is really cool to, to hear as well. I can't have, you know, a hitting coordinator like on the show. And I, I'm sure the listeners feel the same way without, you know, talking a, a little bit about kind of your hitting philosophy. And I know you can't get into, you know, what you're kind of you're doing right now with your, your organization and whatnot. But maybe just from like a, 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 in terms of just regularly hitting philosophy, if you're just coaching, you know, high school or college kids, is there you know, staples of your philosophy that like no matter what you want to see in a hitter? Or is it kind of like everything else, just a little bit different? I think uh, it goes back to it depends. You know, one, one of the most consistent answers I get when people ask me about, hey, what did you think of those swings? I'm like, oh, it depends. Like, you know, what, what was your plan and approach in that perspective? What was your vision strategy? What were you trying to accomplish? You know, what, what were you doing? And um, it's always going to be some, you know, shades of gray. And, and context is so critical, you know, when it comes to especially hitting because it's the one part of, any sport where you can do in, in a lot of ways, everything right. And you still, you still go over one. You still don't get the, the result. Even though you put in all the work, all the effort and you've done everything right. In terms of staples, I think for me, it's always going to revolve around, you know, how you create and transition energy. Like what, what I want to see out of, out of our hitters is are they in an athletic position and are they moving in the most efficient manner possible? So you know, you, you can look at all the different types of swings uh, that are out there in the game. And, and one of the activities that we do is I, I tell, you know, younger hitters, all right, I, I want you to sign your autograph. I'll sign it real fast. I'm like, all right, now I want you to sign your autograph 10 more times. And I want you to be a, to do it exactly the same way, in the same arches. I want you to be able to replicate your autograph 10 separate times. Tend to be to match exactly perfectly with, with your first autograph, and that what is so incredible is <clears throat> they take their time. They're trying to be just like the first autograph that they sign, but all of our autographs are always going to be a little bit different. Just like all of our swings are going to be a little bit different. They're going to have the same bones and structure as as what we see across the game, but they're all going to be a little bit different because God made us all different. And and I think that when it comes to foundations is we, we want guys to like to be able to create energy, transition energy. We want them to hit the ball hard. We want them to be able to, to hit it on a line. You know, again, the most you know successful hit you can have in baseball is a line drive in terms of production. So, you know, I, again, I think that a lot of the semantics and a lot of the, you know, the specificity to, uh, in baseball, I think it's good because it shows a lot of the, you know, deep, in-depth research and evaluation processes that people have. But when it comes down to it, whether you're, you know, Mickey Mantle or if you're, you know, I'll see this Escobar, like we, we want you just to hit the ball hard. And again, Mickey Mantle is going to hit a ball hard and hit a 500 some odd feet off the, you know, the, the facade in, in old Yankee stadium and Escobar is going to hit his line drive single in the center. And so <clears throat> I think, when we talk about being teachers, we, we want to be hybrid. We want to be able to, to take a little bit of, of mental skills, take a little bit of strength conditioning, take a little bit of our experience, take a little bit of, you know, some of the, you know, advanced data and be able to mash it all together and then be able to speak in a language that our player understands and have that player apply that, that principle or apply that task. And so uh, if, if there is a philosophy, it, it, it's simply that. It's always going to be a different shade of gray. Uh, we want to be able to create and tra- you know, transfer energy, and we just want to hit the ball hard. And I know it sounds simple. I, I really I, I understand that. But what I found in, in my journey is when I originally you know, set out to be a hitting coordinator, I wanted to have like these very special drills around super secret words, and that's going to be the thing that's going to help us, help us get to this like, elite like, hitting you know, department. And in reality, the, I, I think about it different. If I wanted to be broad, I wanted to be encompassing. I wanted to be a pretty big arching umbrella because then from there you, you give the boots on the ground, you give your people a lot of different options to be able to still execute the end vision, which is we want our guys to be athletic and we want them to hit the ball hard. And so to steal a, uh, a quote and a line from a good friend of mine, Kevin Wilson, he talks about all the time, you know, you know, 
hitting is simple. It's just not that easy. And, and I truly believe that's where I see um, some of the disparity, I think, just across the board in our game. Is that I think that we, we tend to, you know, not think of it in simplest terms, but it, the reason why it's tough for us to get to that is because we know that the process, the why and the how to that is going to not be very easy to be able to get to. So that's kind of, I guess, if there's an overarching hitting philosophy that I have personally, that that's what it would be. Yeah, the hitting is so, so complex, and there are so many different variables at play. And I love your, your um, you know, autograph. I actually might steal that and have, you know, our guys maybe do that as well. That's a very, that's a really good way to kind of get them to understand what you're talking about. You know, I've referred to it kind of like as snowflakes. You know, every snowflake's a little bit different, but that's another good way of putting it. When you're, when you're working with a player and let's say like a high school or college kid, or, I mean, I know what, like, what would be like a typical cage session like, would, would be like? Is there certain things that I know you kind of talked about? There aren't specific drills, but is there, you know, a certain process that you do have when you work with the player, like getting to know them first a little bit or working them through their approach or something like that? Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, learning their language is, is always the most critical thing. And, and it's funny because I've done this even with the pro guys, but I'll, I'll tell them, okay, like, you know, we're hitting off a tee. All right. Um, we're going to play uh, a switcheroo. All right. We're, we're doing a, a freaky Friday. So now you're the coach and I'm the hitter. And I want you to imagine this. I'm an alien from outer space. I have no idea how to hit. Tell me how to hit this ball hard. Go. <laughs> And then they're like, well, uh, stand, uh, you know, shoulder width apart and I'll do that. And they'll go, okay, uh, put the bat up. And then I'll just being an idiot, I'll just pick up the bat and I'll just point it straight up in the air with my left hand. And I'm a right-handed hitter. And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, well be more specific. Put the bat on your right shoulder and put it on the right shoulder and the bat's pointing up. And so, you know, they're like, no, that's not it. I said, awesome. I said, so I'm not hearing what I'm not interpreting your words the way that I'm interpreting you now can move me. You can use kinesthetic learning to be able to do that. You can also model. You can also show me what you want me to do. And so now you're, you're taking them through, okay, well, you know, is, is this guy a visual learner? Visual learners are going to tend to like model um, guys that are kinesthetic learners are going to start to move your body in certain positions. And when you see them do that, you're, you're learning how they learn in that process. And they'll use certain words, you can start to tell if it's a word that's manufactured or if it's a word that's truly like intrinsic of nature. And, and it just, it helps them be able to kind of figure out those things. And so we get done with the exercise. Like, okay. How was that? And they go, it was really, uh, it wasn't easy. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know it's not that easy, but hitting at the end of the day, it's still pretty simple. Right. And like, yeah. And so I give them the context of why I do that. And I share with them, I'm trying to learn about, you know, how you learn, I'm trying to understand your language. I'm trying to speak through your words because at the end of the day, that's what makes us great teachers is even though we have 15 different pupils, all 15 of them are going to say different things. They're going to interpret things differently. I may tell one guy swing down, may tell one guy swing up. I may tell one guy to swing inside out, so I swing outside in, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, we, we know what the vision of what we want our players to be. Our job is to be able to mold and modify the words in the language of what our hitters are understanding so they can apply the knowledge. And then that's where you start to see skill transference. And so it's, again, it sounds really simple to do those things, but again, it's not that easy because you have to unpack so many different things. And so from that, then we start to, you know, build out, okay, well, you know, you said this about, you know, you said gather, you didn't say load. Why did you say that? You know, you said that uh, a little bit wider, can I be open? Can I be closed? You kind of just go through all the different things to be able to show them. There's a lot of different options. Because we know from a lot of really hard, concrete educational um, you know, studies that, you know, the most opportunities for skill to transfer is always going to be some version of guided learning. So whether it's the teacher is providing four different options or three different options to the player, the player gets a chance to choose. So he feels that he has autonomy over it. And when a player feels he has autonomy, he's making the decision. We're not making it for him. So what happens is, is that the player is going to tend to endure the struggle in learning the new skill because in his mind, he made the decision to do this. And then the other option is instead of us guiding it, they're telling us, okay, well, I like to do this, this, or this. And we give them, you know, our, our opinion. Hey, I think that this could work. Here's my why. 
And so whenever it, it's a guided learning process, that's where you get a chance to be able to get foster trust with the people. You're creating more communication lines of two-way communication, and you're going to see a better opportunity for the player to be able to develop a little bit faster. Oh, geez. Drew, I, I, you know, I know you can't see me because we're, you know, we're talking through Skype right now, but I'm just sitting there like just nodding my head. Yes. Like so, so much like when you're just talking and taking me through that process right there, that was awesome stuff. It really was. Oh, thank you. It's, it's always fun to be able to share ideas and, and obviously a chance to, to speak with a person of your ilk and experience is obviously, uh, you know, a lot of fun for me too. Awesome, man. I really appreciate you coming on the show. You know, I know you got three kids right now. You know, you're the teacher, the homeschool, you know, you're, you're a hitting coordinator for an organization. So uh, you're a busy, man. So again, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your knowledge with everyone. Absolutely. No, I appreciate it, Patrick. And again, man, lo- looking forward to continuing our relationship as well, buddy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Make sure to go subscribe on iTunes so you can stay up to date on the latest trends and techniques being taught in player development. Until next week, hope everyone stays safe.